Well, tonight I want to continue on through the book of 1 John. And this may seem like a strange place to start, but who, who is that? Anybody know? Who? George. Yeah, it's George Harrison. And those were the young days of George Harrison. You know, he's, he was the lead guitarist for the Beatles. And these are his later days. He, um, is anybody here a Beatles fan? I don't want to hurt any feelings or anything, but um, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about him very much at all. All I'm going to do is talk about him for just a minute because he's the one who led them into Hinduism. He's the one, you know, who wrote uh, My Sweet Lord, you know, celebrating Krishna and all that. He died in 2001 at the age of 58 of lung cancer. And when asked just shortly before his death about his spiritual journey, he said this. He said, everything else in life can wait, but the search for God cannot wait. And even a broken clock is right twice a day. But here's the thing. He was searching. And it's sad. It's not like he probably wasn't ever exposed to Christianity, but he never found it there. Makes me sad. I think about that a lot because, you know, I feel like we're all compelled that everybody around the globe, every culture, every people group, we are compelled. We have this innate compulsion to find God, to find meaning. Years ago, this is a long time ago, way, 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 way back, I bought my first Jeep and I didn't have much money. And when I bought this Jeep, I, <laughs> when I went on the lot, you know, the guy said, I was. I just kept telling him, ah, I can't really afford that. And I was, at first I was just, you, is anybody here a car salesman? I don't want to offend you either tonight, but you know how they work, right? And I've always heard if you just waste enough of their time, they'll give you a better deal. But in the end, what happened is all I could afford was this really stripped down Jeep. That's not it. But mine, it did have a hard top, but it didn't have, didn't have a back, no, I had a back seat. I did have a back seat, but that was it. So no radio, nothing, nothing else in it, you know? And, um, so when I could afford it later, at, uh, we didn't have Costco at the time, and we didn't have Sam's Club, actually. In California, there was a thing called Price Club, basically the same thing. And so I thought, I'd, you know, I, I thought they were advertising radios installed, and something I could afford, so I bought it, you know, and bought the thing at, at Price Club. And then, of course, what ended up happening is it wasn't near me where the installation was. It was way out in El Cajon. Well, I lived in Chula Vista, which isn't that far away, but anybody know San Diego? I mean, El Cajon, there's no good reason to go to El Cajon. It's just, there's just no good reason, really. There just isn't. So I was out there, and, you know, this shop was at this place, and, you know, no sidewalks, all dirt right there. And, and I took it in to get the, the radio, and the guy looks at it, and he goes, oh, Price Club. You know how that is when you buy something at a deal, and the, deal, the people that actually service it don't really like doing it because they don't make that much money on it. And he goes, yeah, and it's a Jeep, too. I'm like, well, what's, what? What are you trying to say? He goes, well, these are hard to fit. It's a big pain. He goes, this is going to take at least three hours. And I'm looking at it like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I could have done it in three hours, I think. I could have done anything in three hours. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do for three hours in El Cajon just standing there? There was no waiting room. So I thought, well, I'm just going to walk down this road, you know, and see if there's a strip mall or something way down here. So I'm, I'm walking, and, and <laughs> I was bored. And this is before cell phones or anything like that. You know, I'm walking along, and there's, I see this older guy walking in front of me, and I thought, well, I'm going to catch up and talk to him. So I, I caught up to him, you know, and, and tried to make small talk, and he kept kind of grunting at me, and, you know, and he didn't want to talk, and he kept looking at me and kind of sneering and shaking his head. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't get him to say anything, really. I mean, we, I would say, hey, how you doing, you know, and he's like, ah, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm okay. So we get to the edge of the curb, 
And it was a pretty busy intersection. I mean, those cars were moving fast. And, and um, he just said, he goes, I think I'm going to step right off into traffic. Looking <laughs> at him like, he hasn't said more than three words to me the whole time, and he's going to step off into traffic. I'm looking at him like, why would you do that? And he goes, well, I don't have anything to live for. I'm thinking, what a grumpy dude. I said, what do you mean you don't have anything to live for? And so he pulls up his shirt, and he, he had like a bag on there, you know, and he's like, my body's falling apart. And, you know, some people just have no filter anymore. And like, he shows me the whole thing, and I'm, okay. He goes, everybody I, that I knew, you know, they're, they're already gone before me. And, and I said, well, what about your family? None of them like me. None of them will talk to me. Oh, okay. So then I said, well, what about where you work? You got any? No, I don't have any friends there either. It's like, oh, man, I'm batting a 1,000 here. Everything I said was worse so I just, it just rolled off my tongue. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be necessarily evangelistic or anything. I just said, well, what about a church? You ever been involved in a church? This is what he said. I went to church for 60 years. 60 years. I'm looking like, six, how old are you? You know, and he said, he goes, 60 years. He goes, I got no, I got no time for that. I said, hold on. You've been, you were at church for 60 years? You don't have any time for that? You don't have anybody you know that you like there? And he goes, well, none of them like me, and I don't like them, and I said, well, what about God? Here's what he said. I never met God there. Then the light turned green, and I never saw an old man walk that fast in my whole life. He was just trying to get away from me because I think he felt like he said too much because the whole time we were walking, he wouldn't talk, and then all of a sudden we're talking, and I'm trying to catch up. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he's just like, no, get away from me, you know, and he didn't want to talk to me anymore. And my head was spinning. How do you go to church for 60 years and not meet God? I mean, going back to George here, I mean, he's searching, oops, (laughs) searching for a Jeep. He is searching for God in all the wrong places. And here's a man literally in the right place and doesn't find God. And I didn't get to go through it all with him. I I had so many questions then. I mean, we would have never been done talking because I wanted to know how does that happen? What kind of church and what did they talk about and what did you do? And did you ever read your Bible? Did you ever pray? Were you ever part of a group at the church? Do you know any of the ministers there? Did you ever take them out for coffee? I mean, I had so many questions I wanted to talk to him about. And he was gone. And I couldn't think about anything else. How do you go to church for 60 years and not find God? And I know he was just trying to blow me off and maybe he was just trying to tweak me. I don't know. But I know that he was there and missed it somehow. Because, like I said earlier, every human society, every culture has a need for and finds God in one way or another. Not always the right way, but they're always searching for God. It's always happening. And even in naturalism and, and a lot of our science communities and, and uh, all of the humanism, even they are really searching for God, but they find it in themselves. But they're still searching for him. It's still this search. It's built into us. It's who we are. And I think that's why people gravitate so much to ways that they medicate because they, they either can't find him or, or they're frustrated or they search for horoscopes or other religions. I mean, these things are coming all the time. We always are looking for ultimate meaning outside of ourselves. I saw this sign once. At, at, um, there, was a, there was a big fairgrounds right across from our Bible college. And they did a swap meet there every Saturday, Sunday. And this lady had the sign out front of her little booth. And she was, she was like a, oh, what do they call it? Like a fortune teller lady, you know? And she had the sign there. So every time I would go there, I would talk to her and try to just, 
I mean, I knew I wasn't, <laughs> I was trying to just talk to her and just kind of trip her up or whatever, but her thing was God is just too big for any one religion and certainly not our religion. As I was talking to her one time, I, I, was, I was saying, so are you on a search for one of the religions that fits? And she, her attitude was, well, no, I gave up on all of them because he's too big for any of them and they're all wrong. I said, so I, I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't this smart. I was just talking to her one time and I said, so it sounds to me like you, you haven't found one that fits you. So you want to create your own so you're comfortable and you don't have to change anything. You know, and then she had a customer. She didn't want to talk to me either anymore. But Augustine said this. You have, I know I had a lot of rejection in my life. You have made us uh, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. To, to me, that, that saying is what's happening in so many corners of our world. That's what it was, unfortunately, with George Harrison, and I don't think he ever found him. I mean, he found him now, and now he knows, but at the time, he couldn't seem to find him. See, the Bible says that we're created in God's image, but most of the time what we do Let me say it this way. If your Christianity doesn't make you uncomfortable at times and doesn't make you readjust, then you may not be doing it right. Actually, what you may be doing is trying to create him in your image so it's more comfortable and you don't have to change anything, which is what the world constantly does. This first verse in John, 1 John chapter 3 says, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. This is in the New Living Translation. And that is what we are. Sorry, let me read that again because I kind of broke it up there. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That verse right there, one verse is packed with so much that just it's, it's amazing. One thing I, I think we all need to see real quick is... And this happens a lot of times in the Bible where there's actual idioms in there. They're, they're parts of speech or they're, they're sayings that would have been common in the first century that we miss. And in the New Living Translation, it's one of my favorite translations, but in this case, I don't think it does a good job. It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, which sounds good. I mean, great is good. A great is great, right? But let me just read that one line to you in a few other versions in the... Um, the ESV, it says, what kind, see what kind of love God has lavished on us. And um, actually, that's the new, I'm sorry, that's the NIV. The New Living says, see how very much love. And then the New King James says, behold what manner of love. And then uh, in the Amplified, it says, see what incredible quality of love. What we miss in all of that is the actual, this is kind of comical, the actual Greek says, from what country is this love? It would be like saying, this love is not of this world. It's out of this world kind of love. That's kind of what we would say, where they're saying, what country is this love from? What he's trying to say here is this love is so unusual. By the way, I was wondering, that not of this world, you know, I see that symbol all the time, you know, and I, I never think of it. I see that symbol, and I know it's a Christian symbol, but I never really think of it as not of this world, but that's what it is. And I I want us to think for just a minute that the kind of love that he pours on us, yes, it is great. Yes, it is lavish, but it's a love that is beyond this world. That's what John's trying to tell you. Now, John talks about love all the time. I mean, he's the, he, he talks about the love of God more than any other writer in the New Testament. He talks about it a lot. 
But in this one case, he's using a a figure of speech that was common in the first century that is saying that the kind of love I'm talking about people, it is not of this world. It's It's out of bounds. It's incredible. You know what I think happens for us sometimes is, well, let me ask, how, how long have you guys been saved? Just shout out some numbers. How, how long have you been Christians? Nine? 29. 50? 35? 45, 55, 50, 50, Okay. I'm hearing a lot of years out there, which is good. But here's what happens, I think. I think as we walk with Christ for quite a while, we start to forget how we were. Does anybody do that? Which is good. I don't think we need to always be remembering that, but I think it's sometimes difficult to really measure his love for us from where we are now. Here's what I mean by that, because you all are doing good now, right? You're walking with Christ. Things are good. I'm not being facetious. I'm not saying you're perfect. I know none of us are perfect. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're way different than you were, right? So sometimes it's hard to remember how you were, how we were. And if you don't really remember that sometimes, then you can't fully comprehend how great his love is. Because he didn't start loving you when you were good like you are now. He loved you then the same as he loves you now. But he loved you then. And if you don't keep in mind how it was, who do you think is the worst sinner in here, by the way? Just kidding. I don't want you to even compare. I'm just joking about that. But let me ask you, what's worse? Someone being ungodly or being self-righteous? Because when we talk about his amazing love, it's hard to measure it against what you do now. Because if, if you were to measure it against the other things, and I just pulled out one section of scripture here. This is Galatians 5.19, which is the, the, you might call it the fruit of the, the, well, the fruit of the spirit is in 5.20. But the fruit of uh, the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, ambition dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins. Wow. But I'll bet you as I read those, some of you are thinking, yeah, yep, yeah, uh-huh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. right? Let me give you another picture of how that is. In Romans, he says, Paul says, when we were utterly helpless. <laughs> That's more than just helpless. Utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. (laughs) But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right with, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we we're still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Yeah, wow. Woo. That's what Carol said. Paul uses there four words to describe our spiritual condition before we were saved. Did you catch them? They're pretty brutal, really. And, and maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, that was a long time ago. I'm not bad like that anymore. We don't need to hear this anymore. But you do. Here's why. 
Because you can't fully appreciate what he's done for you day to day if you don't remember what it was like and the condition you're in when he saved you. And here's the ways he describes it. He says, we were powerless to change our ways, utterly helpless when he came for us. It says, although we were ungodly, Christ loved us. Ungodly, and Christ loved us. We were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even though we were God's enemies, Christ reconciled us to God. And what that last part of the verse says, it made us his friend. We went from enemies to friend. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way. Oops. He says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? So how dead were you? Mostly dead? Is that a little princess bride there? No, you were dead. Before he saved you, you were dead. You were dead in your sins. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I wasn't that bad, really. And maybe you weren't. But the fact is, you were still dead in your sins. Dead in your sins. You might be thinking, Pastor Dennis, why are you belaboring this? I am because it matters. It's all through the New Testament. It's all through Scripture. You need to understand where you've been. That's the whole point of it. I mean, you think about, maybe some of you have worked with NA or AA or, or maybe... Maybe you've heard these kind of things before, but the fact is, if you don't clearly assess and admit the problem, you can't fix it. You can't fix a problem you don't admit is there. Same thing in a marriage, same thing in a relationship, same thing in a work environment, a leadership issue. If you don't admit it's a problem, you can't fix it. Another way to say it is this, is that I've heard it said this way, that 90% of the solution is clearly identifying the problem. Einstein said, if I had 60 minutes to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes defining it and five minutes solving it. Lincoln said, if he had six hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend four hours sharpening the axe. Until you face the bad news about your condition, you really can't not only fully assess the problem, you can't really take responsibility for it and make it better. You really can't. Until you face the bad news of your situation. It doesn't matter what your issue is, but if if you don't fully admit to and recognize the problem, then you're still somewhat enslaved by it. You're enslaved by it. That's a strong word, isn't it? We don't like using that word, but that's a biblical, scriptural word for the problem. So as we were talking about God's love, you know, and, and in our world, we... I bring this up a lot, but the fact is we do live in an if-love kind of world. I love you if you do this, if you act like this, if you look like this. It's all conditional. God's love's not like that. I mean, the whole context of what we're talking about is how much he loved us in light of our sin. So, not mostly, is it not mostly love? It's a lot of love. God's always love. He's not love once in a while or love if He's not love when he's always love. In fact, it's more than that. As those scriptures we read said, he's actually love in spite of you. While we were yet sinners, he still loved us. While you were in the middle of your sin, while you were thumbing your nose at him, while you were deliberately breaking his laws, while you were doing those things, his love was the same. The simple message of the gospel is 
I love you. That's it. I love you. I love you. I love you. And to prove it, he gave his son to prove it. I think about this, and this sounds offensive, and I don't mean it this way, but it, sometimes it, it can be none of you, of course, other people in other churches. You kind of get the idea that after you've walked with Christ for a while, they kind of get give the impression that God should be a little bit happy to have them, right? I mean, they're a compliment to him. He should be happy that they're there. How fortunate God is to have us in his family. (laughs) But (laughs) let me say it this way. God didn't look down from heaven and say, you know what? I want to save that Marsha girl because she's not quite as bad as the other sinners. He He didn't do that. The fact is, all of us have sinned before him. All of us. And here's the beauty of it. Not only have all of us sinned, but he loved us so much that when he redeems us, he, he officially designates us as one of his own. He calls us his own. He calls us children of God. We read that in that verse a few minutes ago. He calls you children of God. You know, I, I think about that. It's, it's kind of like uh, this last Sunday, some people were here and they were asking about our kids. And I was looking across the lobby and there's all these youth standing there and they're good kids. But I said, that one there is mine. That one's mine. And I was proud of it. That's how God is with you. He calls you his own. And he's mine. Deb's mine. Laura's mine. He calls you his own and he's proud of it. He calls you his child. His child. He said it. We didn't. It's not like you're bragging or you're you're showing off. The fact is, he said it. He decided to call you his own. It's, it's pride of ownership of God over you. I think of, um, I think of friends of mine who have adopted kids. And they have a birthday, of course. Those kids were born on a certain day. But did you know most of them also celebrate a gotcha day, they call it? It's when they got them. It's when they adopted them. Those are fun parties. Because what's fun about it is, you know, I, I have some friends like, well, like Deb, Deborah just walked in and their son's from Russia. And then I have some good friends, their, their children are from China. And uh, what's fun about it is you watch those kids at that party and there's a sense that they belong. They belong. They were chosen. No offense to any of the rest of us, but, you know, my parents didn't choose me per se. They got me. I was, they were stuck with me. They had me. I was born. And ba- I was from the generation where it wasn't planned. It wasn't like, you know, they thought, hey, we're going to have a kid. We're, they, it was more like, ooh, we're pregnant. Right? <laughs> There's another level when God chooses you and gives you his name and says, he's mine. She's mine. I got him. It's kind of corny, but sometimes I'll tell people happy birthday twice because they're born again. Just kind of a stupid joke, but you know what? You're born again. You got gotcha'd by God and he celebrates it. Not too long, well, years ago, I had to fill out this form to be a minister, and they're like, what date were you saved? And I looked at that, and I thought, I don't know. I don't know the date. And I, I kind of worried about that at first, like, should I know the date? I wish I did know the date. How many of you know the date? Some of you probably know the date. I don't know the date. I know I am, but I didn't know the date. I bet you God knows the date. I bet he remembers every detail. 
I better remember it's the sermon. I remember the night. I remember the preacher. He had an afro. He's a white guy with an afro. I remember that. He was a missionary from Africa. I remember that. I remember all that. But I don't remember the date. But I guarantee you God does. The second or the third part of that verse, it said that the world doesn't recognize us. It's incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. It said, uh, I want to read it to you again just so you catch it here. It said, um, it says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The, The world doesn't know us. They don't recognize it. It's incomprehensible to them. Have you ever been around somebody? I was thinking about you, Laura, when I was writing this because there's times where I'm around, like I turn the TV to Spanish TV and I understand a lot of the words, but I, have, I can't catch what they're saying. You ever have that experience? You could be, I, I've had that experience even listening to somebody who's got a real thick Scottish accent. I mean, the words, I get the words, but it's hard sometimes to understand what they're saying. And that's kind of how the world is with us. They're not going to get you. They're not going to understand. I've talked to people even recently where they're like, you go to church how many times? Or, or a lot of times they'll say, you get paid to do what? It's a full-time job? Yeah, it's hard to understand, I, I know. But you know what? We're in good company because the world didn't understand Jesus either. And think about this. When he came, usually we save all the Christmas sermons for December, but think about that first advent when he came. Did they get him? John, you know, First John, I mean, in the book of John, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Think about it for a minute. He was born in the stable. The world he created didn't have room for him. The shepherds and wise men welcomed him, but Herod tried to kill him. And then the Jewish rulers who should have known better, the ones that were consulted about where he was to be born, they didn't have time to go see him himself. They didn't even care. They didn't get it. They didn't understand him. They're not going to understand us. I'm sure that everybody in town that night, Bethlehem, just thought he was just another Jewish baby born. They heard a lot of babies cry. Babies are born every day. They were just another Jewish baby. And I'm sure his neighbors growing up just figured he was the natural child of Joseph and Mary. No big deal. They, then as he was a teacher, and politi- they probably thought he could even be a political leader maybe. And his opponents claimed he worked miracles by the power of the devil. Um, Pilate was confused. He was curious, drawn to him, but confused. The angry mob shouted at him. It's interesting, as you look at that, you, know, you talk about his birth to his death, There's that scene at the cross where the Roman soldier looks up and says, truly, he was a son of God. Now, they debate what he meant there, if he was talking about like a Greek God or God God. But regardless, he saw what the others didn't see. How is that? I wonder if it's because maybe he believed and because he believed, he saw. A lot of times we won't believe unless we see, but a lot of times that's part of the problem with the world is there's a bit of wonder that they're never going to get. The shepherds believed and they saw. And those of us who, who believe, we have a spiritual insight that the world doesn't have. And they're going to stumble in the darkness because they just don't see. What do you think the world sees when they see us? What do you think they see? A bunch of people who... 
I heard nuts. That's all I heard. Would you say fruits and nuts? That's California, I think, fruits and nuts. That's what I always heard. But um, Here, let me just say this. Don't be alarmed or, or surprised or bothered because the world isn't going to get you. And don't be surprised when you're misrepresented in the media or on TV or movies. Don't be surprised if they get the story wrong because they don't get it. They're not part of what we're doing here. Part, part of the problem is they think Jesus was just a teacher. They don't realize it wasn't about his teachings. He said it was him. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, no one comes to the Father except through me. We didn't make that up. He said that. That's actually kind of exclusive and politically incorrect, isn't it? That's a little offensive. But that's what Jesus said, and it does divide, and people aren't going to get it. It's our job to tell them, but they're not going to get it. And they rejected him 2,000 years ago, and they were going to reject you. Moving on to verse number two, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. Uh, Let me just say this real quick. Again, I thought of Laura because in Spanish, you would have started off this sentence with ahora, right? Now. In Greek, it starts off with now. We move it around to make it fit in English, but there's an emphasis in saying now. It actually says now, dear friends, we are children of God. That's emphasized, I think, for a good reason because a lot of times we think we're going to be a children, a child of a children. We're going to be a child of God someday. Do you ever think that? Someday I'm going to be thin and fit. Don't we say that? Or think that? <laughs> someday I'm going to be smart and go to bed early and get up, or get up, right? Do we have all these things we're going to do someday? And I think a lot of times we think of this whole Christian experience that way, that someday I'll be good and perfect and a child of God and I'll be a better person. But what this is saying is that it's now. Now. It starts off with now, not someday. It's now. And here's what I want you to understand about it. It's, it's not later, it's now. Your destiny's settled. You being a child of God was decided when you accepted him as savior. That was decided then. Now, you're already a child of God. There's no question about it. You're going to heaven. Boom, that's done. Amen. That next part is cool too. It says, uh, it kind of says, we don't know what we don't know. There are things we don't know. It says in there, there's some things we won't know till they're revealed. I like to know things. I, I, I am such a dark. Did anybody else read the encyclopedia growing up? Yes, I did that. I do that. I love that. I'm just I'm fascinated by things. What do you think heaven's going to be like, for instance? What do you know about heaven? What does the Bible sell us? What do you think? Streets of gold? Pearly gates? No more sorrow, crystal seas, trees that have leaves that heal. God will be the source of light. What else? I hear whispers. I didn't hear that. River of life, glorified bodies, peace, right? We'll see our loved ones. We'll sing and have harps of gold, right? (laughs) The Bible mentions at one point a cloud of witnesses. Do you think we, if we go there before the rest of us, we can look down and see each other? Don't know, do we? We don't know. Do dogs go to heaven? Just kidding. There's, a, there's an actually an old Christian tradition that says when we go to heaven, everybody will be 33 years old. Have you ever heard that before? 
because that would have been Jesus' age. And then in the book, that book, Heaven is for Real, that's kind of it, you know, primal life or whatever. Plus, this is just going back into Christian tradition. This is not the Bible, I'm just telling you. Ancient Christian tradition is also that Adam was created at 33 years old. He was created as an adult. I mean, God wasn't going to make a baby, right? He was a man. And so he, they, the tradition was he was 33. That's when Jesus died, completed his ministry, died, saved us, so that we'll all be 33 in heaven. <laughs> anyway, it's just comical stuff. We don't know. We don't know. You know, I've talked to, I've talked to really good Christians who are like, what will heaven be, be like? I just can't imagine. And I've talked to, to other people who are like, if it's going to be all singing and stuff, I don't even like to sing. I heard this analogy one day, and I think about it probably too often because it's just an interesting analogy. Again, it's not in the Bible, but think about it like this. Think about a baby in the womb. You've probably heard this. I mean, we know even scientifically now that a baby in the womb knows its mother's voice, right? And can hear music and sense her mood, right? Babies swim in the amniotic fluid. They move around. They turn upside down. I mean, I know my sister flipped all the way around right before she was born, and that was awkward. They react to emotions, sudden movements. You push on their foot, they push back, right? They eat what mama eats, reacts to, the, to whatever she's eating. We used to do this great thing for a youth ministry in Minnesota where we worked with this, um, this pregnancy crisis center. They would bring a portable sonogram machine in, and we would get a lady that was like three or four months pregnant, and then um, basically we'd, the, the nurse, they'd feed her M&Ms and then put her on that machine. you see that baby just bouncing around. It was awesome. But can you imagine the shock then of getting squished out that birth canal? We're all adults in here, right? There's no kids in here. Can you imagine that? Where the head barely fits and the baby's like, what's going on? And getting all squished and it's hurting. And, and then all of a sudden the lights are super bright and some man is smacking them and, on the butt. And... Stephen Wright, he's a comedian, he said, he said, yeah, I found my diary from my first couple days. I was saying, still's tired from the move. And then he, was saying, he said in there, yeah, I wrote in there, um, everyone talks to me like I'm an idiot. And the baby's going to feel so disoriented till what? Till she hears mama's voice, the same voice she heard. Well, but this time it's more clear, more clear, Right? We, we, we have the, the most clouded view of what heaven would be. We don't know anything about it, really. We have a glimpse here or there. Scripture mentions a few things. But you know what's going to be there? Is that master's voice, and it's going to be crystal clear. And that one that you're in love with now, you're going to know him in a way that you've never experienced him before. I... I I think of these verses that talk about heaven. Jesus on the cross said to the the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul said, yes, we are fully confident. We'd rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. And I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better indeed. I don't know if it's really about the singing and the streets of gold and all that. I think it's about Jesus. And when you're there with him, none of that stuff's going to matter. It's going to all be about you and being with him and being with the other brothers and sisters and family members and those who've gone on ahead of us. Everything else is just going to be details, details. So what do we know? That verse mentions three things we know. 
it mentions three things that we do know. It says, not if, but when. When Christ comes. You may have been a Christian a long time. I heard some of you say 40, 50 years. That's a long time. And the Bible even talks about there are those who have said, oh, yeah, our ancestors said he was coming back. Doubters can doubt, haters hate, but the fact is he is coming back. He's coming back. It's real. It's going to happen. We don't know when. But Jesus says he didn't even know when. Nicole always hoped it was before Grace hit kindergarten. Then it was middle school, then high school, and now, I don't know. It's happening. The second thing we know for sure is that we'll see him as he is. As he is. Not the baby in the manger. Not a good teacher. Not somebody who was a miracle worker or not someone on the cross. Not bruised, not, not beaten, not wrapped in claws, not wearing a crown of thorns, not on a cross. We're going to see him risen, ascended, victorious, the lamb is known as a lion, the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's how we're going to see him. We're going to see him in a way we've never even could possibly comprehend on earth. There are so many things we know just the the bare minimum of, even here, let alone him, and we're going to see him as he is. It's going to be amazing. Paul said in Corinthians, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see him face to face. It's funny, I've talked to so many people who want to know what he looked like and what he might look like and all these things, and I don't know. All I know is that when we see him, it's going to be a whole different day. And this blows my mind. When we see him, we will be like him. We will be like him. We're going to be trans... Here on earth, we're being transformed to his image slowly, too slowly for some of us. We feel like it should be faster, and it's slow progress and difficult progress, and we... Sometimes two steps forward, one step back. And you might ask yourself, sometimes I do self-evaluation. I'm like, am I closer to him than I was yesterday or last week or the year, last year or five years? Or what habits have I lost or good habits have I formed or attitudes or choices? And the thing is, one day we're all going to be transformed in an instant and you will be like him. No more struggles, no more pain, no more temptations. All the burdens lifted, every carry, every worry set aside, and you're going to be like him. I was thinking about this. Lust will be gone forever. Anger and bitterness finally banished. Pride removed. Greed replaced by love. Sorrow given away to joy. Addictions gone. Their place taken by fervent love for God. Hurtful memories healed. The fires of worldly ambition replaced by holy zeal. Foul speech given way to praise. Habits extinguished. Violent tempers replaced with gentle spirits. everything back to that verse in case you missed it everyone oh this is verse three everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure how do we how do we stay pure let me just skip to this everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself you can try, and there's a lot of self-help things you can do, and there's good people to guide you, and I'm sure if you're married, your spouse can help you with some things to fix. But the fact is, it's only through him that we really change. It, he changes our hearts from the insides out. He makes us new. He does things in us we could never do on our own. He does those things. 
I'm going to take us back to verse 2. There was, there was one word mentioned in verse 2 five times. Anybody catch it? Anybody a savant here? Let's check it out. This is back to verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been. Did you catch it yet? There's five we's in there. I think that has something to do with how we're supposed to purify. I think we are supposed to do it with we ends together. We say we ends here, right? In Missouri? Is that southern Missouri? We ends? I think it's about community. You ends and we ends, yeah. Us ends, y'all, all y'all. David, I want you to put some music on, and I, I would like you guys to just shut your eyes for a minute. I want to be more like him today more than yesterday and tomorrow more than today. I know you want that too. And I, I know we all look forward to that day when we will see him face to face. Now, as I say that, maybe some of you have a little bit of hold back and you're like, but my kids, I want to see them grow. And, and, and I get all that. But what I'm saying is that someday we're going to see him in a way we've never seen him before. And we will finally be transformed into what we were supposed to be all along. And he will make the changes that right now we struggle with. And when we stumble and fail, he's there to help and forgive. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what these verses talked about is we need to lean on him. And I also believe lean on each other. I'm going to encourage you to do something before you leave tonight. And it probably won't take you very long. Just what I encourage you to do is just to do that for a minute. Do some evaluation. God, what needs to be changed in me? I, I want to be perfect and, and be as, as you've created us to be. What do I need to do? What does he need to change? Lean into him for just a few minutes. Speak to him and let him, let him speak into your heart. Let me just pray over us and I'll dismiss you. Father, I'm grateful, grateful, grateful just for the hope that you give us that someday we're going to see you face to face. Someday we're going to see you as you really are and that we will be transformed and be like you. God, I pray that you would help us in the process here now. That as we lean into you, that you would do and make the changes in us that are necessary to be made. That you would work in us and then with us, with all of us, to work together to help us along that road. God, I pray that you would reveal to us things that need to be let go, things that maybe need to be added. God, I pray that you would speak to us in the next few minutes here as we open our hearts and minds to you. And we give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight.